Here's something to think about, Think Squad. What's your number one goal for your kids? As I speak, Alisa and I have just started our two oldest in soccer camp. Neither one of them has any experience with soccer. Jacob has done karate and martial arts, but Alisa and I recognize the value of team sports. And soccer is a great one for developing teamwork, perseverance, thoughtfulness, and courage. These are all virtues we want to help our kids develop. But developing these isn't our greatest goal for them. Our greatest goal in our parenting is to teach our kids to serve and glorify God through Jesus Christ in every area of life. That definitely includes soccer. It has implications for how they play sports, but it also has implications for how they treat their teammates and for the conversations they get into after practice. As their father, I want to know, are my kids ready to articulate and defend the Christian message? How about yours? Are they ready? In today's episode, that's what I'm talking about. This is a repost of an episode from June 2019 in the early days of the podcast. I've edited it to make it less clunky and easier to listen to, and I'm sharing it with you because I think it's that important. A lot has changed in our world since 2019, but one thing that will never change is the high calling that we dads have to train up our youngins to represent Christ well. If you like this episode, would you do me a favor? Leave us an honest five-star rating and write a quick review on Apple Podcasts. And if you really like it, please pass it along to another dad who needs to hear it for his own kids. Thanks. My name is Joel Setacase. I'm a Christian apologist, husband, and the father of four kiddos. In 2009, I left my job in the business world to teach high school Bible at Chicago Hope Academy. That decision would set me on a journey that would bring me first to seminary to study apologetics and earn my master's in philosophy of religion, then into local church ministry, where I became a youth pastor and eventually an interim lead pastor, and then to joining Crew and launching the Think Institute in 2019. Now, I'm on a mission to help fathers lead their families in defending the Christian message. I don't have all the answers, but I'm determined to go find them. And through this show, I'm reporting back to you, the Think Squad, what I discover. Welcome to the Think Podcast. Really quickly before we start, if you have an interest in the intersection of fatherhood and apologetics, as I do, as well as philosophy, theology, and many, many leather-bound books, I want to let you know about our online community, the Think Squad group on Facebook. There, you can join hundreds of other Christ followers also on the same journey. We trade apologetic stories and strategies, discuss philosophical and theological questions. It's like a huge late-night bull session in your favorite cigar lounge, and it's actually led to some real-life hangouts as well. So check it out, the Think Squad Facebook group. And now, here's today's episode, How to Raise Kids Who Can Defend the Faith. We are talking about raising your kids to be able to defend their faith. Now, before we jump right into the topic, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping and let you know about something that I just did today. Maybe you've heard of the resource that I wrote about four years ago called the New Covenant 
Catechism for Little Ones, also known as Catechids. Well, I have been asked to create a paper version of that, like a physical version. So far up to this point, I've only had digital versions. I've had PDFs, and you could download the, those from my personal blog or from the Think Institute website. Those, um, those resources are still going to be up there, but I want to let you know I did self-publish through Amazon, through Kindle Direct Publishing, a physical copy. So you can now get a physical copy of Catechids on Amazon for less than five bucks. And so what I'll do is I will go ahead and put a link up in the comments. In fact, I'll do that right now, um, or I'll do that before this officially posts. And you can get a physical copy of Catechids and... Uh, and also, you can get an Am a uh, Kindle copy for ninety nine cents, or you if you want the ebook, you can get that for ninety nine cents. And if you want the physical copy in your hand, you can get that for less than five bucks. And then, you know, if you if you happen to live in Chicago and we're friends, or if you go to my church, I'm going to actually be getting a few proof copies, test copies in the mail. I'd be happy to give you one of those for free. Uh, if you just approach me on Sunday or or next time we see each other. But I want to get these into people's hands because this is a resource that I created originally for my own kids to teach them the basics of the biblical worldview and the Christian faith. But in God's providence, by his grace, a lot of other families and dads and moms and even a few churches have incorporated this into their discipleship. And so there's a church out in California, uh, New Covenant Baptist Church, North California, NorCal, that is actually using this as their as their curriculum. And then I had another brother reach out to me this morning who um, wanted to give a physical copy to his grandkids. So I mean, that's, that's unbelievable. I'm just glad people are enjoying this. Um, yes, yeah, so I will post a link to where you can get Catechids, a, a real live copy. If you're just joining us, the topic tonight is we're talking about raising your kids to defend their faith. And so let's let's get into this. Now, tonight I want to talk about three different things. When it comes to raising your kids to be able to defend their faith, we're going to talk about principles, practice, and prayer. Principles, practice, and prayer. And you can tell that uh, you can take the preacher out of the pulpit, but you can't take the three-point alliteration sermon out of the preacher because we're talking about principles, practice, and prayer. As you can tell, there's three Ps. And uh, my goal here is my goal here is to make this as easy and as accessible and as memorable for you as I possibly can. But this is an important subject because in case you haven't realized this, this, this may come as a shocker to you, but not everybody in this world is a Christian. I know. That's a shock. Not And not only that, but not every Christian thinks from a fully biblical worldview. Again, I know that's a complete and utter shock. But the fact is, if you sort of trace out the trajectory of where we've been over the last 50 years, and you look at where we're at now as a culture and as a society, and you sort of try to extrapolate that out and say, where are we going to be 50 years? Years from now, given the current trajectory of our culture, the odds are not very good that we're going to be, as a, a left to our own devices, we're probably not going to be getting much more biblical in our thinking as a culture. And so what does that mean? What that means is that we need to be raising our kids, the next generation, with strong spiritual and theological and apologetic and evangelistic backbones so that when, they're, when their faith is challenged, they won't 
have to fall back on just, well, this is what my parents told me, but they will actually be able to defend their own faith and really own it. And hey, maybe even share the gospel with someone who doesn't believe and even lead them to faith in Christ and maybe make a new disciple, which by the way, is what every Christian is supposed to be making our mission because Jesus has made that our mission in Matthew chapter 28. So we're talking about principles, practice, and prayer. I think we've kind of established a little bit why this is important, but let's get into the principles. Now, there's going to be three principles that you ought to instill into your children. The first one is this, if you want them to be able to defend their faith. The first one is is this, they need to get to know their Bible. As a dad, you need to be able to lay the foundation so that they can get to know the real thing so that they'll be able to recognize the counterfeit when they see it. You know, there's this old story about the man who works in the U.S. Treasury and the way that they teach the, the way that he learned to identify a counterfeit was through the, was through, uh, countless hours of examining and feeling and smelling and touching the real thing. And the idea is that the more you touch the real thing and experience the real thing, the easier it becomes to recognize a counterfeit. And so we want our kids to be able to recognize the real thing. That means they need to get to know the Bible. The Bible is the real thing. The Bible is the truth. Now there's good biblical basis for this. Second Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for teaching, rebuke, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. Now, I've had people say, well, that's just talking about pastors. Fine, but if it's true for pastors, then it's certainly true for those that the pastors are going to be teaching because what's the the pastor is going to be teaching, the preacher is going to be preaching from Scripture. So if the preacher is preaching Scripture to the congregation, then Scripture must also be what the congregation needs as well. Well, who's in the congregation? Parents, and depending on your church, kids. And we know that Scripture is what we need because Matthew 4, 4 records Jesus as saying that man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And he's quoting from a passage in Deuteronomy there. So we see that this is a consistent theme throughout scripture that we need to feed on. We need to live on the words of God. And so what does that mean as parents? It means that if we're not feeding our kids scripture, a healthy diet of Genesis through Revelation, we're not feeding our kids Spiritually, our kids need to get to know their Bible. Second Timothy 3.16, Matthew 4.4 4 are very instructive here. But what about Psalm 119.105? It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Scripture is alone in this. The Bible doesn't give us a basis for building our kids' education, our kids' worldview foundation on anything else. That doesn't mean that when we build on the foundation, we can't build with anything outside or, or, or in addition to scripture, but scripture is the foundation and it's the guide for interpreting whatever else we include in our kids' education. Deuteronomy 6-7 says, when God is talking about the commands that he's now given to Moses, he says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. In other words, whatever you're doing, wherever you're going, if you're with your kids, you need to be talking about God's word, laying down that foundation, feeding them, giving them the resources so that when they grow up, they'll be able to feed themselves. So that's the first principle to instill in your kids is 
to encourage them to get to know their Bibles. Now, the second principle here is this, get some good tools. We want to teach our kids to get some good tools. Um, We want to be giving them raw scripture, but there is a real benefit to using a tool that someone else has created where they've taken some scripture, they've broken it down, they've digested it a little bit, and they've created something to help you and me be able to understand the Bible a little better, a little easier. 2 Timothy 1.14 records Paul, the apostle, as saying this to Timothy. He says, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. What's Paul getting at here? Well, in Paul's writings, what we see is every now and then he will sort of interject, he'll sort of splice in these little songs. We we believe, scholars believe that they are songs or little poems that the church would use in the early days to help them remember the basics of the faith. When Paul is telling Timothy, stick with the sound pattern of words, what he's saying is, look, there's a pattern, there's maybe a rhythm to it. In the ancient world, there were no recording devices, of, of course, so they would use mnemonic devices, they would use music. It's a very biblical practice to use tools and memory devices to help you remember the important teachings of the, the Christian faith, of the Bible. So what are some of these tools? Well, one that the church has used for hundreds of years at least 500 years, is the catechism. Now, a catechism is a document, it's a resource, it's a tool that that contains questions and answers. And the questions and answers are designed to teach children and adults the basic truths of the faith. And so, for example, in my catechism that I wrote, Catechids, the first question is, who is God? And the answer is, the Lord is God. See, it starts very basic. It's it's simple. And the goal with a catechism is rote memorization, R-O-T-E, rote memorization, meaning you just memorize it, you get the words into your head so that later on, the, those words will come back to you. A three-year-old is not going to have a, a fully developed theology when you say the Lord is God. He's not going to know that the Lord in the Old Testament is referring to the Tetragrammaton, which is YHWH, which stands for Yahweh, which means the one who is, and that has implications for God's self-existence and and the fact that he exists necessarily. Look, a three-year-old's not going to know all that. All he's going to know is the Lord is God. It's rote memorization. You're laying down a foundation for him to be able to build on later in life. So a catechism is a great tool. I wrote a catechism called Catechids. There's Tim Keller's New City Catechism. You can look that up. That's excellent. There's another one called the First Catechism. That's really good. Or you can go old school. You can go with the Westminster Shorter Catechism. That's one that came out of the Reformation. You can go with the Baptist Catechism, which I I think is the name of Charles Spurgeon's old catechism. There are numerous catechisms out there, but I strongly recommend that you get one of these. And if if you've got young children, you need to be catechizing your kids. And you know what the incredibly cool thing is? As you teach your kids these basic tenets of the faith, you know what happens? You already know what I'm going to say. You learn it too. Yeah, because as your kids are memorizing them, you're memorizing them right along with them. 
And, you know, I encourage people when they use catechids, I encourage them to say the, to give the questions and, and the answers in sort of a sing-songy kind of a musical way. And so, for example, when we talk about what did God do on the seventh day, my, what my kids and I do is we, we get out our imaginary electric guitars, our air guitars, and we go, what did God do on the seventh day? And the answer is he rested and then he blessed it. So it's, what did God do on the seventh day? He rested and then he blessed it. See, we sing a little song. And, you know, I remember that. I've been doing that for five years. I don't remember when the last time I actually did it with my kids was. But you remember it as a parent, and it's a lot of fun. And let me tell you, when you get to the end of the catechism, mine's 100 questions long. Tim Keller's is 52 questions. Some of the older ones are over 100 questions long. When you get to the end of them, it's such an accomplishment. You can give your kids a certificate, give them a prize, but you reward them for reaching the end because it's, you know, it's an accomplishment. They've, they've mastered, uh, let's say they've mastered level one of their discipleship in life, of this lifelong process of becoming a, a follower of Jesus Christ. All right. So catechisms are great tools. And I mentioned how you can put a catechism to music, but you know what? There's some really good music out there for kids. There's this band that came out of the old Mars Hill Church out of Seattle called The Risers, R-I-Z-E-R-S. And they actually sing rock and roll versions of Bible songs. You can look them up on YouTube. They, they had two albums. I don't think they're making new music anymore, but they're wonderful. My kids love them. And they're not hokey. They're not corny. They're very cool. I genuinely enjoy listening to this music. That's how good it is. Uh, there's another group called Family Devo, D-E-V-O. You can look them up. But let me let me recommend two more musical ministries that you can you can listen to with your kids. Seeds Family Worship. That's a really good one. Seeds Family Worship. They've got a bunch of different themed albums, but it's all scripture and they, they put it to music. It's it's like the risers. I would say it's maybe not quite as rock and roll as the risers, but it's still very good, very excellent. And then Dana Dirksen, D-I-R-K-S-E-N. She is awesome. She's got albums out to teach your kids numbers and to teach your kids letters, but then she's got a whole series of albums based on the first catechism. And so your kids are going to learn really good, robust theology to a tune, to a musical tune. She just does an amazing job, but you can look that up if you Google Dana Dirksen or you, you get onto Spotify, Amazon Music, or, or what have you. Um, she is very, very good. So there's there's music, there's catechisms, there is there are a lot of podcasts out there. I'll just recommend a couple right now. The Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids is one that I've been getting into with my own kids. That one you have to look for on your favorite podcast app. You can look for the Rebel Alliance Media Network. You go to that Rebel Alliance Media Network, and then you kind of scroll through and you find Fathers of the Faith. Right now, over the summer, they're doing a series on systematic theology for kids, which is incredible. Really awesome. But it's this one dad and his kids, he calls them his saplings. And uh, he goes, I don't, I don't know the guy's name, but he does a great job. Uh, there's some other podcasts out there. There's the Reformed Kid Cast that came out a couple of years ago. I did that. I listened to that with my kids. And then there's the Kids Bible Stories podcast. You just search for Kids Bible Stories. This woman who does a great job, it's very well done. But the point is this, there are resources out there. And we need to be taking advantage of these resources with our kids. Now, the third principle is this. We need to teach our kids the value of community. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says, let us 
Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet one another as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The idea is this. Jesus is coming back. Our time is limited. We have to make the most of it. And if you want to make the most of your time here on earth, you need to be in community. This applies to going to church on Sunday. If your church has a Sunday night service, go to that. If you have a Wednesday night prayer group, go to that. If you have Awana, go to that. Get your kids to church. Get them in community, especially, let me just say, especially if your kids are in the government school system, the public school system, then what they're being taught, at, at least here, I can tell you this in Chicago, and I know this is the case elsewhere as well, but they are not necessarily being taught from a biblical worldview. And depending on where you send your kids to school, they're definitely, they're actually being taught from an anti-biblical worldview. Now, you can always take your kids out of the government schools. That's an option. But if that's not a realistic option for you right now, then what, what, do you, what can you do? Well, you can get your kids into other forms of community that will begin to rebuild from some of the acids of the postmodern, cultural, Marxist, uh, social, socialist, whatever they're getting at, the, at their schools. I, again, I'm speaking here of Chicago, and I'm not ragging on Chicago school teachers. In fact, we need more Christian school teachers in the, the public schools, believe me. My brother-in-law is a Christian school teacher. I've got many friends who are Christian school teachers here in Chicago and, and elsewhere. And God bless you. That's wonderful. But the fact is the curriculum is stacked against you. And I know that. And as Christian parents, we need to be realistic about that. So we need to be providing alternative communities for them. Uh, get into a small group. If you're not in a small group, get into a, a small group. Uh, we have a great picture of something like a small group in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we see that the believers were meeting together in one another's homes. They were studying the teachings of the apostles. They were breaking bread together. It was this just this really beautiful, meaningful, biblical community. Now, this is all about instilling these biblical principles in your kids so that they come to think in a biblical way. They come to think Christianly, as some people like to say. They they come to value biblical community. The more they value God's word and biblical community, and the, the more equipped they are, the more defenses they have later when the biblical worldview is going to be challenged. What you're doing is you're building up their armor, like in Ephesians 6. You're giving them you're helping them trust in their helmet of salvation, their breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the shield of faith by which they can quench the fiery arrows of the evil one, the belt of truth and the, the shoes, the feet shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace. You're giving them the resources that they need, the protection and the armor that they need for later when they're outside of your protection, when they fly the coop, when you're an empty nester and they're on their own, the Bible says in Proverbs 22, 6, that if you set a child on his way, when he is older, he will not depart from it. And that verse gets quoted and misquoted and used and misused. But basically what it's saying is the way that you set your kids up when they're young tends to be the way that they live when they're older. It's not a perfect rule, but it's kind of a nice rule of thumb. Maybe your church has Sunday school. Maybe your church has other ministries. 
you know what? In 2 Timothy 2, 2, Paul tells Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The idea is the church is a place where discipleship is happening and, and disciples are being multiplied and there are men and women who are able to teach your kids things that both align with what you're teaching them at home and to complement that and supplement that. And let's face it, especially as your kids get older, sometimes it's nice to have another voice corroborating what you're trying to tell them. Uh, sometimes it's nice. Sometimes kids, they might not listen to you, but they'll listen to someone from church that they trust. All right, now let's move on. So we, we've been laying down principles. Let's talk now about practice. We're talking, remember tonight we're talking about principles, practice, and prayer. Let's talk about practice. We want to provide our kids with practice defending their faith. The first way that we can do that is this, by encouraging their questions. Now, the goal here, the goal of practice is this. If you talk to a self-defense expert, actually, I was just listening to a podcast yesterday or the day before, the Art of Manliness podcast, and they had a an expert on there talking about self-defense. And one of the things he was emphasizing is the need to be able to think through what your response is going to be if you're challenged physically and, and to rehearse that 500 times or something, something is what he recommended. But the idea is when you are in a situation where you're being challenged, where you're being threatened, your mind, your subconscious doesn't feel like it's the first time you've ever been in that scenario. And you can react rather than having to freeze up and think through what your response is going to be. So that's one of the goals of giving your kids practice in this area of apologetics and of defending their faith. And so, look, kids, if you have kids, if you're an uncle, an aunt, if you even know kids, one, you know that kids love to ask questions. Am I right? Kids love to ask questions. And we need to encourage those questions. If we are followers of Jesus and we want our kids to become followers of Jesus, we should never be afraid of their questions. And you know what? The Bible is not afraid of our questions, and God is not afraid of our questions. In fact, God encourages us to ask questions. In the five verses of Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, the word ask is mentioned five times. Listen to this. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, that's twice, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, that's three, will give him a stone? Or if he asks him for a fish, that's four, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him. That's five. Five times in five verses, Jesus encourages us to ask. We need to be asking. And if God wants his children to ask, then we ought to be encouraging our kids to ask as well. Now, Jesus is talking about here about asking the Father for, he, he says that if we ask anything according to his will, uh, in his name, he will do it. If we ask for the Holy Spirit, he will give it. And here he just says, if we ask for good 
things? Well, an answer to a spiritual question is a good thing. And seeing in the Bible how the Bible answers the deepest questions of life is a good thing. God wants us to ask. God God welcomes our questions. He's not afraid of them. He gave us minds. And the Bible actually says that it's it's the delight of God to conceal a matter, and it's the honor of a king to uncover it. God has built this world and, and, and designed our minds to correspond to this world so that we don't have all the answers. We're not just programmed with all the answers. He wants us to uncover them. He wants us to search for them. He wants us to gain wisdom, but wisdom is a process. Wisdom doesn't just automatically come. And so that's why it says in James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously without reproach to all, and it will be given, it will be given him. So God wants you to ask. God delights in answering that prayer. Ask questions and encourage your kids to ask as well. Now, by the way, if your kids are asking questions and you don't know the answer, that's okay. Because you know what? There are a lot of great resources out there for you to be able to find the answer. And I want to give an open invitation right now. If you're listening to this and your kids have asked you a Bible question or a philosophy question or a theology question, and let's face it, they might not use those words, but they're asking these questions. They're asking the why questions. I'm going to give you an open invitation right now. Hit me up, send me an email, uh, a shout out on Facebook. I don't care. Reach out to me on Twitter. I would love to know what the question is. And I would like to help you find the answer. Now, maybe I'm going to get flooded here with requests. Maybe not. I don't know. But I'm open to that. I love this kind of stuff. And I'm not saying I'll have the answer, but I might be able to point you toward a resource to help you find it. There are, you've at least got one resource right here, i.e. me, who can help you find these answers. But we need to be encouraging our kids questions. Another thing we can do to give our kids practice is this. You have to exercise a little bit more discernment here, but that is this. Giving your kids a mediated stream of objections and challenges to the Christian faith as you encounter them in the world. What does this look like? Maybe you read a headline in the New York Times, an editorial, let's say, talking about how God cannot be perfectly good. This happened a few weeks back, right around Easter time. One of the editors for the New York Times, I forget his name now, but he wrote this article talking about how God cannot be perfectly good and and be all-knowing because if he knows about sin, then he's no longer perfectly good. It was, quite honestly, a really bad argument. Really bad, logically just terrible. That being said, articles like that that you encounter or you know, if your coworker raises an objection or, or maybe you just thought of something that somebody told you one time, or maybe you have a doubt, these all provide excellent fodder for you to have a great conversation with your kids. On the elevator ride up to the condo tonight, I was talking to my daughter and just, just asking her questions. How do we know the Bible is true? Or how do we know God is real? And you know, my daughter said, well, we know God is real because he works miracles. Amen. I love that. Where do we learn about God's miracles? In the Bible. Sure. And, but we also can point to, to answered prayer in our own life. So uh, there, there are a lot of opportunities. There's this world, think of this world as a treasury of objections. And objections really are treasure 
when you treasure them. Because every objection is an opportunity for you, not only to teach your kids, but also to grow in your own faith towards God and in your own trust of the biblical worldview. So it could be a TV show, it could be an article, it could be something that a friend told you, but you can provide a mediated, uh, a mediated flow, a mediated stream of questions to your kids and then work through the answers with them. Bring them back to the Bible. Look, you've been studying the Bible, you've been studying the catechism, you've been listening to the risers. Bring them back to scripture. One of the things that I was talking with my daughter about, I remember now, this is what it was. We were talking about, what would you say to someone who, say, who would say that we don't live forever, but when we die, we just get buried and that's the end. And she immediately said, no, 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 no. Well, how do we know? How do we know that? She said, well, you know, she's talking about how the Bible says so. So I, I said, well, okay, well, good. Well, what does John 3.16 say? Well, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So what I've what I've done there is I've directed her back to scripture to find her answers. She's six. So I want her to be able to have an easily accessible bank of Bible verses and Bible answers to some of life's biggest questions. And as she grows, I want her to be able to develop that bank and add to that bank and make her answers more and more sophisticated because the questions are going to get more sophisticated. And quite frankly, she's going to have more questions that are going to need more sophisticated answers. But I want to always be directing her back to scripture because there is no foundation more foundational than scripture. If she can defend why she believes in the Bible, then she's, she'll have a good basis for giving answers based on the Bible. All right, I'm, I'm getting a little, uh, I'm going a, a little bit of a rabbit trail. And um, my friend Dan Pajak said that I go on too many rabbit trails. So fine, uh, we'll continue. All right, um, so we're, we're saying encourage their questions, test examples as they come. Look, we have support for this in 1 John 4, 1, where the apostle says, don't believe every spirit, but test them to see if they're from God. And then we have a good example of this in Acts 17, verse 11, where it says that the Bereans, the people of Berea, when they heard the gospel, they didn't just accept it, but they searched the scriptures to see if these things were actually true. And Luke, the author of Acts, says that the Bereans were noble. He calls them more noble for doing this. So according to the Bible, if you want to be more noble, then you need to test the worldviews, test the ideas that are out there according to scripture. Now this brings us to the third way we can provide our kids with some practice, and that is this. Teach them other worldviews and show, don't teach them as though they're true or as though um, we can be neutral and just pick a, a worldview neutrally because there is no neutrality in this world. Jesus says you're either with me or you're against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. But what we can do is we can present other religions and other worldviews in such a way that we can compare and contrast them with Christianity. This is what the Apostle Paul does when he's called to Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17. What he does is he actually shows the Athenians that their religion is insufficient because they've got this God that sometime in their history, they decided they wanted to worship, and there's a whole story there, but they didn't know who the God was. It was an unknown God. Paul then comes along and shows them 
why the biblical worldview is better because it provides an answer to, as to who the unknown God is. As a matter of fact, the unknown God is the true God. And the cool thing is that Paul actually quotes from their philosophers in the process of showing them that their worldview doesn't provide enough answers and that the biblical worldview is actually better. So in order to get here, now this is where it takes a little work as a parent, but do a little work in comparative religions, in studying different religions. You know, there's there's worldview charts you can download. There's religious comparison charts you can download. You could go to karm.org, C-A-R-M.org. We have an extreme example of this, of course, in First Kings chapter 18, where Elijah is on Mount Carmel, and he sets up the ultimate worldview comparison, the ultimate study in comparative religions. And I'll, I'll, I'm not going to get into all the details right now, but he sets up this challenge for the, the pagan prophets to call out to their God, and he's going to call out to his God, and whichever God sends down fire, he's going to be the true God. And of course, the pagan prophets are dancing around and flailing themselves and cutting themselves and the blood is gushing down and, and their God doesn't answer. Of course, he's not a real God. But then Elijah prays, fire comes down, burns up the sacrifice. He had doused it with water. It dries up all the water, burns up all the wood. I mean, it's just, just this intense example of comparative religions. And then, well, you can read on and find out what happened to those, those uh, false prophets. It, wasn't very pretty. But what I can tell you is that the Bible provides a great basis for doing comparative religion, of putting atheism and biblical Christianity up against one another and saying, look, one of these things can account for the way we experience the world, and the other one can't. Or holding Islam, the God of Islam, up and the God of Christianity and saying, look, one of these can account for love and provide a basis for having meaningful relationships. And the other one can't. It has no meaningful basis for, for love or, or um, interpersonal relationships or even justice. But the point is this, when we, when we learn about other worldviews and religions and we compare them to Christianity in a way that shows how Christianity solves the problems posed by other religions and does a better job of explaining human experience to our kids, that's a powerful testimony to the truth of the biblical worldview that, again, we want our kids to hold on to as they grow. So we have talked about principles and practice. Now, real briefly, briefly, let's talk about prayer. The Bible says we ought to be praying without ceasing. And I want to encourage you to pray in three different ways as you embark on this journey of preparing your kids to be able to know, share, and defend their faith. The first thing is to pray for your kids, to pray for your kids, to ask that God would give them his wisdom, to ask that God would protect them, not from, not necessarily from exposure to unbiblical ideas, because that's impossible. Even Jesus didn't pray that his disciples would be taken out of the world. And even Paul didn't say that believers should never associate with non-believers. Well, if you're associating with non-believers, of course, you're going to hear some of their ideas. And if you know anything about the Think Institute in my ministry, I encourage people to have these great conversations, intentional conversations, uh, Christians and non-Christians together, believers and non-believers. So that's not, so the answer, we're not praying for our kids not to be exposed to unbiblical ideas. Instead, we're praying for God's protection of their minds, 
of their hearts, of their wills, of their emotions, that as they become exposed to these other ideas, that they would see clearly the truth of the biblical message of the Christian system, and that their their heart would not be enticed into sin. So we're praying for our kids. The next thing we ought to do is we ought to pray with our kids. We ought to pray with our children. If we're going to teach our kids to obey everything that Jesus taught, as Matthew 28 tells us to do, then we need to teach them to pray. We ought to be praying with them. We ought to be praying for their unbelieving friends. We ought to be praying for um, for our unbelieving friends, for our unbelieving friends and our unbelieving family members. What we're doing there is very similar to earlier how we were talking about uh, building a community. What we're doing is we're, we're establishing a community within our own homes. And in this safe environment, we're modeling for them a reliance on the Lord, a reliance on the Lord that shows that, that shows our kids that whatever great arguments we may have for the truth of the Christian message, at the end of the day, it comes down to God's providence, God's protection, God moving in the heart of an, un, of an unbeliever and granting them faith. And if it comes down to God, then we ought to be asking God to, to work that, to do that, to accomplish that. That's what prayer is. Remember, Jesus says, if we ask, we will receive. And if we ask, uh, in First John, it says that if we ask anything according to his will, he will give it to us. Well, we know that it's God's will that none of his chosen people would perish. And so we pray, not knowing who, who God's chosen, we pray for the people in our lives who are without God, who are far from God, who are still condemned, according to John chapter 3, 17, 18. We pray for them that God would open up the eyes of their heart and that they would believe in Jesus. So we're praying for our kids. We're praying with our kids. And finally, we ought to be praying for ourselves. If you're committed to teaching your children how to defend their faith, that is a serious thing. I mean, that's, that's a major commitment. And who is possibly sufficient for that? I mean, the Bible says that we are not sufficient in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but God has made us sufficient. It's by the Holy Spirit that we are sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. And so if we're going to be a minister to our kids, uh, and a minister means a servant, if we're going to serve our kids by leading them into the biblical worldview, we need God's help because we are not sufficient in and of ourselves. So we need to ask God to give us wisdom and insight and knowledge and skills and a, and a deeper love both for our kids and for the lost, but also for God and, and for his truth. And as we pray for ourselves in this process, we can be confident that the Lord does want us to do this. And so he will answer that prayer. He will give us wisdom. He will give us knowledge. But then that prayer needs to be coupled with action. We need to be not just praying for ourselves, but we need to be stepping out in faith, trusting that he will equip us and give us what we need, uh, stepping out in faith by studying and reading the scriptures in obedience, and then by taking what we've learned and delivering that over to our kids. So we need to be praying with them, for them, and then for ourselves. Okay, that about wraps it up for this episode. The Think Podcast is a production of the Think Institute and is produced by yours truly, Joel Sedeckes. The Think Institute operates under Church Movements, a ministry of crew 
under the division of Crew City. To learn about how to support the Think Institute and my family tax-free, go to thethink.institute slash partner. I hope you heard something helpful today. I know I did. Remember, this is not goodbye. This has just been a short stop on the journey as we learn to lead our families in defending the Christian message. And we'll see you next time. Until then, I hope it made you think. Music